we pray two things. This is a prayer that I have regularly. Number one, that you would be welcomed well, and number two, that you would be fed well. So, I welcome you well. Now, hopefully, we can feed you well right now from the Holy Text of Scriptures. So, as I said, today we continue our journey through Philippians. Last week, just a brief reminder of what we talked about last week, uh, we kind of laid a foundation in the first two verses, the greeting. And the takeaway was that there are relationships that are supposed to happen in the body of Christ. These are gospel-centered relationships. Um, I'm not going to go back and re-preach what we talked about last week, but here's the essence of what we saw in the first two verses is this. Gospel-centered relationships are compelled by a servant's mindset. They're possible through a saint's heart, a changed heart, and they're inseparable from God's grace and peace. This is what relationships looks like in the body of Christ. It is a gospel-centered relationship. In Philippi, this military-influenced Roman colony in Macedonia, we were introduced to believers last week. These believers, if you remember, we were introduced to Lydia, this affluent lady, the seller of purple, who loved God and beside the river there, teaching her own Bible study with these other ladies, God opened the eyes of her understanding to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ through Paul. Who else did we meet in Philippi last week? We met this fella, possibly sitting in the middle, arms crossed, you remember this? This jailer, this jailer who almost took his life. Minutes away from passing on from this life into the next life. Possibly seconds away from doing that. And the apostle Paul stopped him and said, no, 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 no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We met that fella last week. Remember who else we interacted with? This relational group, this church of Philippi. We met with this formerly demon-possessed young lady whose occupation was involved in cultic worship, who followed around Paul and Silas and the entourage there, mocking them in the name of Jesus. It was the weirdest thing. If you read in Acts 16, it's super weird. And Paul turns around and liberates this young lady of that demon and the possession that was in her life. And I honestly think that she was part of the worship group the group that gathered to worship in Philippi. This was one of the people that would come together to see relationships built. We met two other ladies, one sitting on one side, the other sitting on the other side, Yodia and Syntyche, ladies that didn't get along in the body of Christ. We're going to address them in chapter 4. <laughs> we met several of these believers. And in all of this, I mean, even a man named Epaphroditus, this guy who carried this gift to Paul in prison. Not only did he carry the gift, and we're going to see this as part of today. They were partakers of grace. He carried the gift to Paul in prison, and he stayed there. Paul, what can I do to help you? This is Epaphroditus. This is a church where relational living was massive. And Paul encourages them in the first couple verses with the fact that Biblical gospel-centered relationships are compelled by a servant's mindset, possible through a saint's heart, inseparable from God's grace and peace. As servants and saints, we looked at this last week, as servants and saints who have participated in grace and peace, we must diligently cultivate relationships in the body of Christ. 
Relationships are a big deal in the body of Christ. We were never meant to live our spiritual lives on an island as a castaway. Neither were we ever meant to live our lives in a tower with Rapunzel. (laughs) We were meant to live our lives very relationally in the body of Christ. So that's what we talked about last week. So from the start of this book all the way through, there's this question that demands an answer. And here's the question. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed the way I see and do life? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed my perspective of life? That's the question that demands an answer through this book. My perspective of every person and every event and every blessing and every problem. We're going to see that in this passage. Every struggle in life. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed the way I see that struggle? Every trial, every relationship, every trial seen in relationship. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed everything in my life? Every perspective on life. So, one of the key evidences of a radically changed life is what we're going to see in the passage today. Specifically, with these two words, thank you. It'll come up here in a minute. Thank you. Thank you. Two of the most helpful words in all of our lives, but two of the least used words sometimes in all of our lives. Thank you. What are we talking about today? We're talking about gratitude. How the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to gratitude. We're going to see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. What are we talking about? The practice of showing appreciation. We're talking about gratefulness. Thanksgiving. A practice that almost seems entirely missing in aspects of our culture uh, today sitting around with my kids last night, and we started thinking about all of the areas of our lives and and how all these things work in our lives, whether it's interacting at a mall with a janitor who's just cleaned the bathroom, walking next to him. People a lot of times ignore him. How many have stopped to say thank you for doing what you just did? The ball fields that we play on. Someone took time to cut the grass. How many take time to say thank you? The teachers that spend hours uh, preparing to communicate in the classroom. How many students take time afterwards to stop and say thank you? Honestly, we live in a very discontented, thankless culture. Our culture revolves around me and my satisfaction. And in no way, I mean, or or very rarely does it mean I'm going to take time to recognize what you have done to be a blessing to me. I'm going to tell you, from the onset of this book, Paul, through personal testimony, radically changes the way we see life. What's the first thing he says? If you look with me at verse 3, one of the first statements of the Apostle Paul in all of this book is this. I thank my God. 
I thank my God, if you look with me in verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. So in essence, I'm thankful for you, and the best way I'm going to express it right now is every memory I have of you, I'm going to take it directly to God in gratitude. I'm so thankful for you. We'll walk through that in just a minute. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, verse 4, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with one of the themes in the entire book, three letters, joy, with joy. He says this, verse 5, by the way, it's on your handout if you want to follow along on your handout or in your Bibles, that's on your lap, or the device you're using. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We'll walk through that in just a minute. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What is this? Simply enough, this is the Apostle Paul overflowing with gratitude for the church in Philippi. He can't contain himself. And the letter he writes to them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from the onset, he's talking about being a saint, two, or, or servant, two saints held together by grace and peace. And the first real communication that comes out of his mouth is, oh, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, it's there's a lot of emotion that you can implant into a passage like this. You don't want to do too much of that. But with the relational ties here, I can imagine there would have been a, possibly a bit of a pause as Paul was writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then very possibly those tears, the same ones that we talked about coming from the reader's eyes, would possibly come from the writer's eyes, Timothy, or Paul. Timothy sitting with him, watching him as Paul stops grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Timothy's sitting there watching Paul hold this in his hand about to write the next, next verse. Tears starting to come down his eyes. And what does he say? Church, I thank God for you. Every memory I have of you I take directly to the throne of grace and gratitude. Church, thank you. God, thank you for those you've brought into my life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next 15 minutes and just one phrase at a time, walk through this. And then so you know what we're headed to is then we're going to take it and kind of synchronize it and bring some points out from the passage, make application, and we're going home to put it to practice. All right? So let's take one phrase at a time. Let's look at this this morning, starting with this phrase, I thank my God. When you go to these verses, a lot of times you'll find a primary phrase that the rest of the paragraph comes subordinate to. That is this phrase. In other words, this paragraph as a whole comes under the heading of, I thank my God. So pretty much everything we're looking at in verses 3 through 8, we want to remember the primary heading of gratitude. I thank my God, and the rest of it is developing this. I thank my God, and clearly, if you'll remember with me, where is Paul writing this from? <laughs> Prison. Okay, so we have a jailbird for Jesus, as we talked about last week, and he can't contain his gratitude. 
Okay, right there we have a pretty good indication that the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed the way Paul sees life. He is thankful. In a time of his life where he could complain, God, I want to be back in Jerusalem. God, I want to be over with the believers in in Corinth. Uh, There's some believers that need some work over there. I want to be over in the region of Galatia. What is he saying? As he's sitting in jail, thank you, God. Right away we see this, this, like, the par for the course set of gratitude. Even as a prisoner, Paul starts his letter with an expression of gratitude to his God. And I absolutely love this. It's very personal. I think, my God. Paul thanks his God in contrast to the generalities of the plethora of Greco-Roman gods in that culture. And what is he saying? I think... I think my God, he's mine. Don't you ever forget it. He's my God. He's seen me through from first to the end, as we'll see in just a minute, and he is my God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he is known as our Father. In a sense, we get this sense that God is the Father of all of us, but then as you go through scriptures, there's this very personal aspect to our prayers. I thank my God, he's mine. He sees over the details of my life today and tomorrow and for the rest of my days into eternity. He is my God. And Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Basically, every time I remember you, church, I'm filled with gratitude. (laughs) Let's keep moving. Not much needs to be said about that. (laughs) He remembers them. He intentionally remembers things that have happened in his life. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Simply, Paul's thanksgiving was not a casual feeling. It was an intentional prayer. He voiced his gratitude to God. By the way, this is a phenomenal practice. I can't say that I even touch on this. This is my goal. But through the week when God brings up brothers and sisters in Christ in the body of Christ here and around the world, do you thank God for them? What if we embrace that practice? Because the, the nature, I mean, our natural way of looking at this based on the popular opinion of our culture is when we think of someone, it's in a very critical way. Oh, I wish they'd do that or that. Oh, yeah, this or that. You know, the scripture sees here a different gospel-centered pattern is when I see a believer, it's not looking at them in a very critical way, it's looking at them as a blessing from God. God, thank you. As God brings people to mind this week in the body of Christ, you take time to stop and say, God, thank you for that person. And Paul says, I thank my God always in every prayer of mine with joy. As we mentioned last week, we find this as a key theme, one of the four main themes we see in the book of Philippians, joy, J-O-Y, joy. This comes from a Greek word card called kara. It's important to my family because that's who our first daughter is named after. Her name is kara Christine, joy in Christ. That's how important it was back when kara was born in our lives. Joy in Christ, kara Christine. It is a state and experience of gladness. And as you walk through the New Testament, you find how beautiful this joy is. Here's why. As you go to Galatians, you see that this is not something you can manipulate in in your life. 
Joy is an expression that biblically surpasses outward feeling of happiness and reaches into the depths of who, of who a person is. A sinner saved by grace. So as you look through the passages in the New Testament, you find very quickly and very clearly that joy is something that comes only through the Holy Spirit of God. Honestly, joy is a gifting to us by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not something that we can manipulate. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. That when outward things happen in our lives, circumstances that make us incredibly uncomfortable, our joy is not dependent on the things that happen outside. It's dependent on what's happening inside. It's what God's doing in our hearts. That is this joy and Paul, practicing what he preaches here, is in jail saying, I'm thanking my God with overwhelming joy. And we'll speak more to that in just a minute. The point of joy is that it's never dependent on outward circumstances. It is grounded in inner peace, satisfaction, that God who saves me is the God who's got me. He will never let me go. That is joy. And so we continue on. Paul explains that his gratitude here is so important, it is saturated by joy, and here's how he continues the thought. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What is this? This partnership in the gospel, clearly enough, this is gospel-centered joy. It's gospel-centered gratitude. As we talked last week, the gospel is the hub from which all of the spokes rotate. The gospel is the glasses that we put on God saving our souls by his grace that we see life differently from. Everything that happens in our lives we see differently. This is the gospel. And, God, and Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is very practical. What's Paul doing? He's stopping and he's reminiscing. Again, I can imagine in my mind tears coming down his eyes. Why? He's thinking back to a vision he had by God's grace in the book of Acts, through the transition of the church, a Macedonian call. Come to Macedonia. Someone showing in this vision, God using this to bring him up to Philippi and him showing up and now seeing people that need Jesus. And when he walks into Philippi, I think he's looking for that dude. And instead of seeing that dude, who does he see? A bunch of ladies over by the river studying. And what does Paul do? He walks right over and says, hey, can I tell you about this Jesus Christ? And Lydia, this affluent one who loved God, the blindfold's taken off her eyes, and now she becomes a gospel partner with Paul. These ladies around there saying, hey, I want to receive this Jesus Christ. The blindfold taken off her eyes. Paul reminiscing, that's the first point until now. He's saying, I remember you, and I thank God with joy from the first day. What's the first day he met the jailer? Sword in hand, about to go into his heart, Right? Paul and Silas singing songs in jail. The earthquake happening. Don't kill yourself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. The first day he met the jailer. I mean, you can go on and on through this book. Roman citizens who now have, through God's grace, have transformed their citizenship from being all about being a Roman citizen now to being a citizen of heaven through Jesus Christ. This is, these are the people that Paul is talking to here. And he says, I thank my God because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Well, let's continue on. He says this. I thank my God. And then there's another massive movement. movement. There's three main movements in this text. The first primary part, and I put it like this in your, t- in your handout. I thank my God. And from this come other three movements. The one we just looked at with joy. Now there's a bit of confidence in the second movement. And here's what he says in verse 6. <coughs> I am sure of this. I am sure of this. So he's telling his gratitude, and then all of a sudden he stops and says, I'm confident of this. Some of your translations will actually use the word confident. I'm confident of this. In other words, beyond a shadow of a doubt in our vernacular, we use that a lot of times, right? Beyond a shadow of doubt, there's something I know. I am assured of, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced to the point of certain confidence. Uh, A couple weeks ago through baptismal service, we were sitting here and I was talking with the ones to be baptized and I asked them, have you come to Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone? And I never forget what Norma, Norma Woodworth says. She sits there, Norma says to me, 100% yes. And I'm like, yeah, she's confident. And that's exactly what this confidence is all about. Paul says 100% yes, I know 100% something's happened in this relationship. And here's what he's sure about. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Two things he says here I'm sure of. All under this heading of gratitude. I'm thankful for you and I'm sure something's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen that the God who started a good work in you will complete it. Well, a lot of times we run to the second half of that verse, don't we? He'll complete it. He'll get it done. And sometimes we shy away from exactly what it said in there, that he who began a good work in you. What what are we talking about? Again, whether it's an affluent woman by the riverside or a troubled jailer after after. a God-sent earthquake, or a Roman citizen seeking eternal citizenship. God is the one who sovereignly initiated the relationship. This is such an amazing truth, and we'll talk more of this in just a minute. Such an amazing truth in the scriptures that we can never concede in our theology that we have a sovereign God, that God has started this. No matter how much our minds can't be wrapped around this, that God is sovereign in the affairs of man, and we are not sovereign. This is a tough thing for us to understand, but Paul says that God who began a good work in you, just like we talked to a couple weeks ago, this is whose church? It's God's church. God is the one that started this. (laughs) I will build my church, Jesus says. And right here we find evidence that Jesus is building his church. That he who began a good work in you, and then we can go to the next phrase, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The powerful God who brought you into relationship will dynamically keep it going to the end. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, this is that security that we have eternally in Jesus Christ. The same as the golden chain that you find in Romans 8, 29, and 30. That the one who starts it will finish it to glorification. This is what God's doing in our lives. He's got us. The point is, God who started this will dynamically finish it. Jesus will win and will set all things dynamically right. He will put it together. 
Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we can take this to the bank every single day of our lives. That he who started a good work in us, he'll finish it. He'll do it. He'll make it happen through the ups and downs in our lives, through the struggles, the hurdles. Teens, some days you look at your relationship with the Lord and you're like, how is that going to work? You see older believers and you're like, how can I get there? (laughs) They've loved Jesus for 60 years. They've followed Jesus for 60 years. I don't even know if I can follow Jesus till lunchtime at school. Well, the fact of the matter is the one who began a good work in you, he will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ through one choice of your life at a time. One decision to follow Jesus at a time. By the end of your life, you'll look back at your life and you'll say, praise God that the one who began a good work in me, he's going to finish it and he's finishing it. He will bring it to completion. And Paul says, I'm thankful for you, church. I'm thankful, and God's doing a work in your life. And here's another, the third movement in this passage of gratitude. He says this, I thank my God, and it's right for me to think this of you. I love this. I can only picture this in Paul's mind. As he's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he stops, and he's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, it's right for me to think that about you. Why? Because you're in my heart. I've got you here. You're deep in my heart. He's, I mean, we could talk a lot of this. I'm going to kind of keep this a little quicker. We'll be here till uh, Panamonia tomorrow. But let's keep working through this. In other words, he's saying this gratitude is justified. It makes sense because you are near and dear to my heart. You are in my heart. It is the center of who I am, and it is dear. And, and when I think of you, you're here. I mean, this is not uncommon to what some of us say in our families. Sometimes I'll be sitting there with one of my daughters and my son David or Hannah, and I'll be like, hey, Eva, you know your dad loves you? I love you with my whole heart. Paul is saying, I love you, church, and it's from, the, it's from my heart. It's from the center of who I am. Um, he furthers the argument here. He furthers the discussion. He says, for you all are partakers with me of grace. We could say so much about this. But basically what he's saying is this, we're both participants of God's grace. He has changed both of our hearts. And, and sometimes we want to rush right away to a spiritual meaning to this grace, where we're like, yes, see, grace brings us together. That's true, but I think there's also a very practical way to look at this passage. What do I mean? They were, they were participants of a gift, a very practical gift to Paul. Paul was in jail. And the church of Philippi knew he had needs. So what did they do? They took an offering together. They put supplies together. And they sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul in jail. And I love this because they were participants of the gospel to Paul in a very real way. Okay, just a quick time out. And I don't want to make too much of a connection this way. But what is the gospel? We were in bondage. God sent his son to redeem us, right? That's part of what we're talking about here. How was the church a participant of the gospel? They lived it out to Paul. Paul was in bondage in a very practical way. He was in jail. This church said, well, if Jesus ministered this way, we can minister this way. They're not going to obviously save Paul's soul, but they're going to minister to him. So what did they do? They packed up one of their finest, Epaphroditus, and said, get on the road, Epaphroditus. Go do whatever you can to be a blessing to Paul. Go over there and live Jesus to Paul and help him in any way. There's a reason that Paul can say, I'm thanking God for you because you are partakers with me of grace. This gift. Let's keep working through the text. 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. A lot of words to say that, yep, I'm in prison, and yep, I had to go through some stuff to get here. (laughs) And you ministered to me the whole way through. The church took gospel care serious. They cared for each other. Let's keep moving through the text. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn, yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Not very complicated. He says, I yearn for you. It's kind of an interesting word, but it's one that simply means I long for you. I have a strong desire to see you and to be around you. The quick question is this. Does your heart yearn to be around Jesus' people? You know that the gospel has taken root in your life when you yearn, when you long to be around other followers of Jesus Christ. When, when you have a get-together, you can't wait. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of this at times, but you can't wait to gather with other believers. I mean, right there alone is a good argument for coming to church, right? For coming to studies, for doing fun things together, for getting together in, in formal settings and casual settings, for doing things with Jesus' people. And Paul says, I yearn to be with you. And then he uses this term, with the affection of Christ Jesus. He qualifies it. I yearn to be with you. And it's not some superficial smile and wave, boys. No, it's affection of Jesus Christ. Some of your translations uh, will actually use, the, the Greek word's a great one. Uh, it kind of sounds weird, but in, in other words, one of the ways it can be translated is with bowels, that your bowels. It's like, what? <laughs> Remember a minute ago I said, I love you with all my heart? One way in this Greco-Roman culture that they might express their affection would be like, really, it's like, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> so guys, I dare you, when you get in your car this, this afternoon and you go to lunch in a very quiet moment, stop there and look at your wife and say, honey, I love you with all my bowels. Well, no, that's not going to (laughs) work. But honestly, what's saying here, Paul is saying, from the depth of who I am, the very core of who I am, the seed of emotions, my heart and my bowels, everything about me, I love you. And Paul is saying there's not a deeper affection that I can have for you, church in Philippi, because God has knit my heart to your souls. Okay, so what about this gratitude? Let's wrap this up, bring a couple statements from this and make some personal application. What about this gospel-centered gratitude? Remember how I said there's three basic movements in this passage. Well, let's look at the first one. Gospel-centered gratitude is grounded in true joy. Verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, of you always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Simply enough, the simple reminder, simple point is this. Inner satisfaction is joy. Joy is inner satisfaction that comes only from the Holy Spirit, is not based on outer circumstances, but is driven by inner satisfaction. This joy is a foundation to gospel-centered gratitude. This joy is unshakable in the face of life struggles and relational difficulties. Or someone can do something to hurt you, but you know what? You can still have joy in Christ. Why? Because my relationship's not based on outer circumstances. It's based on what Jesus has done in my heart. He's changed my heart. I can walk in the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
where you can look at someone who can't stand you and still say, I love you in Jesus. <laughs> someone who's hurt you. Someone you just don't get along with super well because you have different personalities. Remember how we talked about this last week? They're, they're just weird. <laughs> you can still love weird people. Why? Because of what Jesus has done in your heart. He's given you a new heart. This joy in our heart and gospel-centered gratitude is based on this joy. This joy that God's in control of all things. And he ties it here to two things in this passage as we just looked at. Joy for gospel-centered partners and joy for gospel-centered partnership. It's both in this passage. What do I mean? He's thankful for people and he's thankful for the gospel that brings the people together. He's thankful for both. Um, which, by the way, in church so often it's, it's easy to get stuck on one side or the other. So thankful for people that you forget about the gospel that brings you together, or so thankful for the gospel that you forget about people. You understand what I'm saying? I'm so thankful for what Jesus did in my heart, and you're like, justice and all this stuff with people in the church is put on the shelf. It's a combination of both. I'm thankful for the gospel, and I'm thankful for people that God has brought us together. Uh, as an illustration, um, four months ago when we moved here, I was moving trailers around our yard, and uh, boy, the blessings of driving around in the winter spring in Reading, and I had to text my neighbor who said I could use his tractor sometime and said, hey, uh, mm, I know it's pouring out rain right now, but can you come pull my vehicle out of my front yard? <laughs> All right, so this, this mud who right now you could drive a Mack truck on and it's not going to move. In like February, March, after rains, it swallows up small children. All right. That's this mud in Reading. And I didn't realize that. These paths that clearly go through the yard, I start driving, all of a sudden my big vehicle just like down to the axle. And so he came and uh, brought his tractor over, and we were like, oh, I really hope that toe strap can pull me out. It was a toe strap. I don't know how many people I pulled out of snow with my vehicles with that toe strap. Now it's time for him to pull me out of my front yard in mud. So he pulls me out, and I get done, and I go up to him, and thanks, Randy. I appreciate you doing this. I mean, it's dark outside. We're getting poured on rain, and you came and pulled me out. So I'm thankful for Randy, but I'm going to tell you what else I'm thankful for is that tow rope. It got me out of there, all right? It is the means, and it's also the people. And so what Paul is saying here is, I'm thankful for the gospel that ties us together, but I'm not negligent of thanking God for people. I thank you, God, for the people you've surrounded me by, the people sitting on the other room, side of the room for me. What's the key point? Gospel-centered gratitude is grounded in true joy, not likable circumstances. My gratitude is not based on how much I like the situation right here, right now. Not my joy is fulfilled if the church gets it just right, right the way I like it. But I can be grateful even if it doesn't look exactly the way I like it. God has gloriously saved us so we can joyfully, gratefully come together no matter how hard the situation of life. Do you kind of get a grasp of what Paul's saying here? I'm thankful for you, and it's not based on how I feel. It's based on inner satisfaction that God's changed my heart. Let's keep going, because we got two more quickly. Gospel-centered gratitude is grounded in divine confidence. We've already touched on this, but confidence that God has begun a good work in you and that God will finish that good work. 
Um, and around our house, we call this big God theology. In other words, God can do it. God is the one that started it. And, and just a quick note, as soon as we concede the sovereignty of God, maybe I should say it this way, until we settle the issue of the sovereignty of God in all the affairs of men, I'm going to tell you, life and ministry will not make sense. It won't. In fact, not only will it not make sense, but it will become incredibly frustrating to us because we can't fix it the way we want to. If we cannot trust the sovereign hand of God, inevitably we will end up resenting God because he does not fit into our sovereign plans and concepts for life and justice. That that is a philosophy of life, not just for this discussion on the church. So the clear acknowledgement is this. God started this. We didn't. We love him because he first loved us. No man seeks after God, Paul says in Romans, but then come to him in faith. I love this. He pursued us. I'm not trying to be extreme here, just pointing out the simple biblical truth. The simple response for us is this. Believe in this God. The simple response to us is this. Praise God. This is the foundation for our gratitude. Praise God that he's a big God. Praise God that he calls us to respond in faith. Uh, The sovereignty of God does not disarm human responsibility. It empowers this human responsibility. They work perfectly together. So, all that to say, confidence that God has begun a good work, confidence that God will finish his good work. What God started in your life he will finish. God will carry us to the end. Jesus gets the final word. You ever heard that statement, please be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet? Yes! For every single one of us in this room. Let us be patient with each other because God's not done with us. God's growing us till the end, to the day of Jesus Christ. Gospel-centered gratitude is grounded in joy true joy. It's grounded in divine confidence. And last thing he says, it's grounded in genuine care. You are in my heart and I yearn for you with all the bowels of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I love you. This is care, as you look at this passage, saturated in grace. And this is care that mirrors the affections of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul had experienced God's grace And the church had experienced God's grace. Paul had passed on God's grace to the church. Now the church was passing on God's grace to Paul. This joy, this gratitude is saturated with grace, kindness. When we come together, I can thank God for every single one of you. Not based on my feelings, but based on the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His kindness. This affection that Christ has Paul's coming to them and saying, this is not a superficial affection. This is a deep, lasting affection because it is with the affection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I am thankful for you. What's the key idea of this passage? If you were to take all of this passage, summarize it down into one simple statement, what would you say? Well, I I think we could probably go right to the red part of that. We should overflow with genuine gratitude. (laughs) Today, overflow with genuine gratitude. 
It's not something we have to manipulate in our lives because it's walking in the Spirit. And as I walk in the Spirit, I can't help myself but be grateful for Jesus' people. So to develop it a little farther in this text, it's because God has radically changed our lives through the gospel, we should overflow with genuine gratitude for others who have also been radically changed by the gospel. So what? How is this text going to make any difference in our lives this week? Well, I would simply say this to start with. Have you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? Simple point is this. It's impossible to show the gratitude and affection of Jesus Christ if you have not first experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You realize that? I can't walk in the Spirit if I don't, if I have my heart hasn't been changed by the Holy Spirit. I can't express this joy and this gratitude if God has not first done a work in my heart. I can express a superficial appreciation, but it's not a heart-filled, gospel-centered joy and gratitude until God has changed my heart. This is the type of a joy that now the jailer can have because Paul said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. This jailer, this hardened military guy sitting in the middle as we talked about last week, maybe a scowl on his face, a little smirk on his eye. This is the type of guy that says, I can still love with joy. Why? Because Jesus changed my heart. He implanted the Spirit deep into my heart. This Spirit will never let me go. This indwelling Holy Spirit is the one that's driving me every day to love those around me. So the question is, have you come to Jesus by faith? The other question along with that one would be, hey, could you settle it today? <laughs> Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk with you more about that. Anyone in this body of Christ that ha- is a follower of Jesus Christ would love to show you how to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in what he's done, not what you do. There's a follow-up question for those who have, fo- um, who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and here's the question. Are you grateful for your gospel partners? Amen. <laughs> what, what I mean is this. Are you grateful for the people sitting around you? The people that aren't here today. That very likely someone hasn't noticed yet. But maybe you did. Would you text them this week and say, hey, we missed you at church today. Are you thankful for the people sitting around you? Truly, honestly, deeply, genuinely, affectionately thankful for those sitting around you and serving around you. As different as all of us may be in background and interest, as weird as we all may be in personality and disposition, are we thankful for each other? God has blessed Cross Point Community Church with an amazing body of believers because we have been saved by grace. Not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Now we have the privilege of contagiously passing on that love and grace and gratitude and kindness to those sitting around us. I want to tell you something, just kind of an addendum here. Side note, as elders, we are seriously praying about this. We're praying about ways to show gratitude to people in the body of Christ. That have poured out their hearts to the body of Christ. Uh, obviously, we don't want to put people up on a pedestal. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, there's been some that have served here for years. Some like Pastor Joe Beck. There's a guy, an usher, who has served regularly. His name is Ralph Herrick. This is a man who served this body to share appreciation for men like this. There's one, Ralph Herrick, who came to me and said, Pastor, what if, 
a couple weeks ago, he said this. What if, what if we took a Sunday and just heard for a short time from the founder of this church? It's a different church now than it was, than it, than it was then. But what if we took some time and heard the vision of faith that Pastor Royal Blue had back in the 1960s, that we could carry on that baton? It's, gonna be, it's a different church now than it was then, but you know what? It's the same faith. We're praying about that as elders. On August 4th, we may hear from him for a short time. I don't, he's not here today, so he, won't have his oxygen, he might have his oxygen with him up here. He can't talk very long, but just to hear from him about faith to hear from these men, Pastor Joe, about loving the body of Christ. This is a man who faithfully loves the body of Christ. Ones who serve the body of Christ. We want to take this serious, that we show genuine gratitude for Jesus' people who have served Jesus' people. Because God has radically changed our lives through the gospel, we should overflow with genuine gratitude for others who have also been radically changed by the gospel. That's our prayer, Lord. Give us grace. Give us wisdom, we pray. God, when the world around us, even our flesh, says to not be thankful for certain things and certain events, I pray that you would overwhelm us with gratitude. That this prayer and the song of our heart would be the same as we learned today. That song we heard. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you.